0: We're continuing with our study, and I understand during the holidays we're going to have some pretty big holes in the attendance. Uh, I I just have to admit, I don't like that, although I understand it, but I don't have to like it. I don't have to like it, but I do understand it. I do appreciate people leaving town to see relatives and so on. The only ones in my mind that are really allowed to do that with impunity are the grandparents' You know, but everybody else, we're just not allowed to do that. Exactly. Grandparents are here. But please, listen. This, what we're studying, is too important not to keep up with everything we're saying. Now, haven't you heard that in class before when you were in high school or college? The teacher said, you must not miss this lecture. And I think one of the weaknesses we have in the church is that when we teach or preach... We don't emphasize nearly enough the absolute significance of what the Holy Spirit is saying to us at any given time. Well, if I miss it, I'm missing, if i don't i don't I'll try to get the that's not God. Do we see that? And I am adamant on this. Keep up online because one of the biggest weaknesses among believers is that we Do not have a sufficiently biblically accurate and solid understanding and appreciation of God's love in relation to all of God. And as a result of that, as I told someone just a little while ago, there are holes in our understanding of God's love. And a result of that is the enemy comes in and he wreaks havoc in the areas where there is deficiency, amen? And I don't want that to happen in my life, and I don't want it to happen in your life. So you say, why is that teacher so impassioned? Because we have got to grow in our understanding of the love of God. The other day, I was going down Nashville Avenue. None of this is in your notes. It's all free. You didn't pay for it. Hopefully, we'll finish what I want to finish today. Going down, and there's a, uh, on Nashville Avenue, there's a, um, uh, what do you call it, Christian Science Church, you know, on the the corner there. And it has uh, one of these, what do you call it, Uh, it sits out in the front, a sign in front of it. And it says, it says, God is love, 1 John 4, 8. Okay. Did did you get, okay. Is that a truthful statement? The answer is this, yes and no. It is within the context of the absolute truthfulness of it. But it is not a truthful statement as stated by and promoted by a church which denies the deity of Jesus. Do you see how the devil wants to undermine and manipulate and dilute our understanding of God's love? Amen? Have I just shown you this morning? Most of us would say, yeah, it is. What? It is in in the essence of its truth within the context of the Word of God. But it is not the truth when it is spoken by and promoted by ungodly, unbelieving people. Now, can you say amen? amen? Now, how are we to know the difference? We must know the difference by knowing that how this attribute of God, this love of God, sits within the total context of all the attributes of God. Because to understand and to pull out, if you would, the attribute of God's love out of an understanding of the attributes of God will cause us to misunderstand God's love. So today... We're going to talk about the omnipotence, or as a friend of mine years ago said, omnipotence of the will of, of the love of God. Omnipotence. The word. Remember, the word "omni" means what? All. Okay, so we're going to talk about. Last week we talked about the omnipresence. This week the omnipotence, and next week the omniscience, the all-knowing of God. Those are the three omnis. <clears throat> the omnipotence of God has to do with, the word omnipotence has to do with the word all-powerful. It's just a simple word, all-powerful. But we have to understand what that word means and how it is applied when speaking about God. To say that God is omnipotent is to say what? That God is all-powerful. Now, is there anyone in here who would deny that God is all-powerful? We know God is all-powerful. But all-powerful in what ways? Is there a limit to his power? Or is he unlimitedly all-powerful? See, that's the question. But to say that God is omnipotent, listen to what I'm going to say, is not to say that God can do anything whatsoever. Did you just hear what I said? God is omnipotent. But that does not mean that God can do anything whatsoever because God's omnipotence is limited by his other attributes and is to be understood within the context of all of his other attributes. You see, what we do again, we take an attribute and we look at it in isolation. Well, that's okay to a limited extent. We're doing a little bit of that in here. But we cannot understand any single attribute of God in isolation from the other attributes of God because all of the attributes of God are the summation of the being of God. And to diminish one or to extract one from the others eliminates all of them as being truthful. Do we see that? Okay. That means that God... Omnip- when God is omnipotent, when we say that, we're not saying that God can do anything whatsoever. No attribute of God stands alone. It's so important to get that. It's so important to get this. Each attribute of God functions within the context of all of his other attributes. Do we understand that? Oh, you're here this morning. Do we understand that? This means that God's omnipotence cannot contradict any of his other attributes. Now, that is a significant statement I just made and must be understood when we get to the immutability of God. We'll talk about the immutability of God probably the first or second Sunday in January. So let me say this again and prepare your heart to understand the immutability of God as with all the others. Especially, let me repeat that. No attribute of God can in any way contradict any other attribute of God. Can you remember this? No attribute of God can in any way, under any circumstance, contradict any other attribute. Do we get that? So when we talk about some of these other attributes, which are going to really test our understanding of God, we must remember this. Every attribute is to be understood within the context of every other attribute, each attribute informing every other attribute. Now, I know we've not really studied the attributes of God, maybe in this church forever. I don't know whether we've ever had a class like this. Just on the attributes of God, we've done that. When? I did this before? (laughs) I won't be sarcastic this morning. (laughs) You saw me struggling within myself. There was a fierce battle between the flesh and the spirit. (laughs) A Galatians 5.17 moment, Frank. (laughs) A Galatians 5.17 moment. (laughs) And my my struggle was, which of the attributes am I going to stomp on by talking to Anna that way? (laughs) God cannot contradict himself. Therefore, to say I'm trying to follow the notes very carefully because I feel the Holy Spirit gave it to me this way, so I'll do it. Therefore, to say that God is omnipotent is to say that God can do anything that is in keeping with his character. God cannot do anything that is contrary to his character. He cannot do anything that is in any way contrary to any attribute. So, those. God being all-powerful means he can do anything whatsoever? No. Can God make a rock that he cannot pick up? Remember that old silly argument. So what does that mean? Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Why can't God lie? Because he is truth. Somebody said that? Good. Jesus says, I am the truth, weigh the truth in the life. So God can't lie. God cannot be tempted of evil. Remember, he cannot be tempted by evil. Evil cannot tempt the person, the essence, the nature, the character of our God. It can't do it. It can't do it. Well, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Jesus was God, the Son of God was tempted as to his humanity in the wilderness. Remember when we made those distinctions between the divinity and the humanity in this one man. Do you remember that? So don't get that confused if someone says, yeah, but I know Jesus. He was tempted as to his humanity, not as to his divinity in the wilderness. The activity of God's omnipotence is informed by and functions within the context of his will, of his character. So everything God does or does not do is within agreement with the totality of his character. Now, I'm hoping that this is informing your understanding of the love of God because we get really flaky, and the problem we have is we all have it, I have it, we have to struggle, we have to admit it and struggle against it, is that our understanding and experience, which is finite and fallen, informs God's love. We think that what we understand and what should be and what should not be, etc., is the way God what should or should not be? How many times have you ever heard, my God would never? Now, if it's about the contrary issues to his character, yeah, my God would never lie. Yeah, Beth, he would never lie. He would never steal. But that's not typically what it's about. It's about how God must conform to our understanding and our appreciation and our experience of love. And that's the battleground, isn't it? And so when something happens in my life, immediately I may ask, I thought God loved me, Brenda. How many of you have ever asked that? Something happened you said, I thought God loved me. Only three of you have had that. Only four or five of you have had that. You question God that means I thought God loved me. And the problem is you have contextualized God's love within the context of your own understanding and appreciation and experience. And we must not do that. We must contextualize God's love within the context, contextualize, of his other attributes. Do we see this? All of this is to say that when the Bible affirms God's omnipotence, it is not saying that God has a power to do anything whatsoever. But God acts always in accordance with his character, with the summation and the comprehensiveness of all of his other attributes. And one of those attributes that defines the very being of God himself is power. So we say this, God does not have power. God what? Is power. He is power. You see the distinction. If I have power today, I may not have power tomorrow. If I have power, it may increase or wane. If I have power, it may be subject to or manipulated by external events. Do you see that? If I have power, it may be subject to my emotions. Are you following me on this? So that's why we say God, of the Bible says God is power, because his power is not subject to any of these kinds of things that I just mentioned. His power is everlasting. Why? Because God is everlasting. So how long has God been power? Always. He was omnipotent before he created And he'll be omnipotent forever. And his omnipotence never wavers. It never increases nor diminishes. You see, I may need more of the experience of his power. But I believe that in each one of us, because if we're saved, we have the Holy Spirit. Do you agree with that? I believe that in having the Holy Spirit, we have, we talked about this last week, the omnipresence, what does that mean? The fullness of the being of God that he can give to a created person, right? In other words, when the Holy Spirit lives in me or in you, he doesn't just have some of God and some of the attributes and some of the work of God. How much of God is there in us? How much? All of it. Now, the manifestation of that is a different issue. So how much of the power of God is resident in me and in you as a believer? How much? Oh, do you see where we fail in this when we are confronted by the issues of the world? And then we begin to wonder, where is the power of God? It's in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Because God himself lives in you by the Spirit. And God doesn't live on us and give us only some of his essence, you know, sharing with us that we may become partakers of the divine um, nature. Remember 2 Peter 1.4. How much of his power lives in us? How much? How much of his omnipresence do we have? Come on, how much? I have all there is of God in me at the same time as Jazz has all the power of God in her. And Giselle has all the power of God. And so does Steve. And so does Bogdan. And so does Rooster. And so does everybody else in here. We all equally have the Holy Spirit and all of the attributes of God in us residentially. Correct? Do you believe this? Now, the experiencing of it and outworking of it is a totally different area. But there must be an understanding of the basis and the truth. We should never allow the truth of the love of God to be manipulated or touched or in any way questioned in relation to the experience or our understanding of the love of God. Are you with me? Okay, I just need to know if you're with me. That's all. I'm an old school teacher. I'm not here to lecture you and give you information. We're here to learn together. So you understand that I will always, do you understand? Do you get it? I have to have that. What, What are just a few of the examples? Let's just run a few examples. What is the greatest single demonstration of the omnipotence of God that we have? What is it? Genesis 1-1, thank you. You would say the cross, the resurrection. The cross and the resurrection are as a consequence of the creation. Now, I'm not going to debate the issue whether raising Jesus from the dead was a greater work of miracle. All I know is that it is contained in Genesis 1-1. But that's not to denigrate other works of power. Remember in Exodus 14, you may have seen the movie, The Ten Commandments. What is the most breathtaking, what do you call, uh, scene in the Ten Commandments? When Moses stands there and what? And the sea opened. Now, he didn't quite do it that way because the Lord said, stand there and I'm going to make an east wind all night. But whatever, you know, Cecil B. DeMille had to speed it up. Whatever. And you saw that, and I remember, I think the first time I saw that movie was in, like, 1956. And, wait, wait, you haven't been here for a few weeks, and now you're going to come in here and start making fun of me. You haven't, you've been, you're going to make fun of me. I'm old, but I have hearing aids, and I haven't turned up. And I can hear your thoughts. (laughs) Barry's never coming back again. Okay, there it is. (laughs) No, Barry and I can do this. We're friends, right, Barry? (laughs) Right. I won't tell you that story. If you want to know it, ask Phil Widener. He'll tell you. What was I talking about? What about Moses? Oh, and in 56, we went to the Britannia Theater. Sat in the Britannia Theater. It cost, I think, 30 cents to see the movie. Popcorn was a nickel. And when that sea opened, it was like, oh, we had never seen graphics like this. I will never forget it. What must it have been like for those people that the water parted? And on each side of them, on the right and the left, there was a wall of water standing, the Bible says. Standing. And they walked through it. And then getting to the other side, Pharaoh, remember the Pharaoh's army came down onto the bed of the sea that had been dried by the wind. And as they came in, and Moses lifted up his staff, and all of a sudden the water collapsed. (gasps) A display of what? God's omnipotence, but a display of his omnipresence, a display of his righteousness, a display of his love, a display of his immutability, etc. It was a display of all who God is. You remember in Daniel 3, the three Hebrew boys are thrown into the fire. Remember that? And the omnipotence of God is manifested when? When those boys are not burned. Why? Because the presence of God and the fourth man is with them. The omnipotence of God does uh, does not exist apart from the omnipresence of God, which does not exist from the omniscience of God, which does not exist from the righteousness of God, which does not exist from the love of God, Shall I continue? Do you get it? How could you be thrown into a fiery furnace and come out and there's not even a smell of smoke on you? Some of you been around fires, you know, and what? It's on your clothes. It's in your hair, right? I mean, it is. It's attached to you. And Nebuchadnezzar, they, these, these boys don't even smell smoke. You see, there's so many more examples In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, God is called Almighty, the Almighty. You see, therefore, to say that God is omnipotent is to say that omnipotence is an essential attribute of God's being as God. And because God is the everlasting God, remember that? He makes an everlasting covenant. His is everlasting love. And His omnipotence as His omnipresence is what? everlasting are we beginning to see something here about god that perhaps we haven't seen as clearly as we have needed to the greatest example of the omnipotence of god outside of genesis 1 1 and i I would not stand and fight over this the incarnation the incarnation if you want you will not get a greater human example of the omnipotence of God that when the Holy Spirit impregnates Mary and Mary delivers a child in nine months and that child grows develops becomes an adult man at 30 going out into the wilderness to be baptized and tempted and then for the next three, three and a half or so years walks the streets and the dusty roads perfectly, finally going to the cross where the omnipotence of God crescendos. You know what a crescendo is? Crescendos, the omnipotence of God crescendos as this man, this Son of God as the Son of Man willingly embraces the Father's laying of the sin of all of his people on his shoulders and willingly embraces the rigors of the cross and the wrath of God and willingly dismisses his spirit from himself. Remember? He dismisses his spirit. They don't kill him. He what? Surrenders his spirit. Father, into thy hands I what? Commit my spirit. And he dies. Then three days later, this omnipotence of God raises this dead man from the grave in the same body. In the same body which he now glorifies and sets in the throne of God forever. And this divine man now rules, reigns and returns the omnipotence of our God. Do we see this? We must not, we must be very careful not to think of the omnipotence of God when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's just an example. Or when Jesus walks in the water, it's an example. But all of it cumulatively is the same omnipotence that allow Jesus to walk on the water is the same omnipotence that raised him from the dead is the same omnipotence that set him in the throne. Amen? It's not a greater or lesser omnipotence. It is a different demonstration of the same constant, immutable, forever omnipotence. We have to be careful how we read our Bible. There's a power of God over there. No. Everything God does Is omnipotent. Everything he desires, wills, commands is what? Omnipotent. The omnipotence of God is on display. Well, I've already gone through some of these. I did it without looking. Okay, let me turn over. Okay, so now we know that God is omnipotent. And by the way, these are not exhaustive studies. I can't do an exhaustive study because I don't have exhaustive information (laughs) and revelation. But there's a lot more to be able to be said. But that's not the context of this particular series. Now that we've seen something of the omnipotence of God, first of all, do we have a better understanding and grasp on God's omnipotence? Do we have a better grasp of it? Is everybody okay with this? Now that we've seen that, we want to look at the love of God within the context. And again, this is a a scanty thing, but we're going to come back to it in greater detail after we've gone through some of the uh, uh, attributes of God. So we will come back, but from a different perspective. So now that we know um, God is omnipotent, let's look at his love, which is also omnipotent. To say that God is omnipotent is also to say that his, pow- his love is what? Can you say something? To say that God is omnipotent is also th- to say that God's love is also omnipotent. Omnip- omnipresent, but what? Omnipotent for today. Now, can we get that in our hearts right now? Right now, before we go any further. God's love is omnipotent. There's no decrease nor is there any increase in the power of God's love. Correct? God's love is constantly omnipotent. Why? Because God is a constant being. I am. He is not subject to changes as the creation is. He is before it. And being the only uncreated, continuing, unchanging being, he therefore creates that which we have. So the first thing about God's love is this. God's love is an omnipotent love. Now, you need to know that, and I need to know that. Because we're going to be challenged, and we're continuing to be challenged. We have been challenged regularly by Satan. To think that God's love won't do the work this time. God's love won't touch me this time. God's love won't, you know, apply his forgiveness this time. God's love won't deliver me this time. Oh, you're with me? And when you hear that thought from Satan, what do you say? Liar! Don't whisper it. Break his eardrum and say, God's love is an omnipotent love. Amen? Amen? He gets in your face, Satan does. Get back in his face. Let us not be a wimpy people, but let us stand up and face this enemy And throw into his face what Jesus did in the wilderness. The word of truth about the person and work of our God. Amen? Amen. Let us not cower and run away and fall apart. But let us stand up and take the sword of the Spirit and cut his lies to pieces. So when he challenges the love of God in you, what do you do? Liar! My God His love is what? Omnipotent. So when we see that, now that we know that, listen to the following. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. I mean, we were enmeshed in it. This is who we were. Among them, we too, all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We were by nature sin, sinners, children of wrath, subject to the condemnation of God. Even as the rest. Now, that's our worst condition. Do you get it? Now, in the midst of our worst condition, now listen to me, in the midst of our worst condition, while we were doing the worst, what does verse 4 say? But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love. Is there any condition that we are in right now that was worse than that condition? Any at all? And if his love was applied to me and to you in the worst, is there any doubt that that same power of love is also being applied and continuing with us right now? Amen? Yeah, but you don't know what I did. I don't care what you did. The love of God is omnipotent. You don't know how I feel. I don't care how you feel. The love of God is omnipotent. You understand what I'm saying, don't you? Yeah. Romans 5, 8. Listen. Know these verses. God demonstrates his own love toward us. Why? When? 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 While we were what? What? While we were sinning, sinners, filthy, debauched, haters, Unbelievers in the worst condition. Christ died for us. Ah! Angel, he's omnipotent. River, he's omnipotent. Long, he's omnipotent. Debbie. He's omnipotent. His love is omnipotent. Romans 5.20, one of my most favorite, second part of the verse says what? Where sin abounds. Yeah, but you don't know how I did. Where sin abounds. Yeah, but you don't know and how I did this. I did it yesterday, 42 times. Where sin abounds what? Grace more than about It's hyper. H-Y-P-E-R in the Greek. It's overabounding. It's overflowing love. If there was just one time, if there was just one time, if there was just one time, one time, where anything that I either said or thought or did, just one time hindered the love of God, then he's not omnipotent love. He's not omnipotent love. His love is subject to something of me. You see, in saving us by his omnipotent love, God has taken care of our greatest need. Do we see that, church? I mean, these, these are shouting words. There's no way for me to teach this without raising my voice. And I'm not going to do it. And I don't apologize for it. We would shout and scream if the Saints won the Super Bowl. And, and that's okay. And I'll shout with you but I'm going to shout louder about this. You see, therefore, now his omnipotent love will keep us to the end. First Peter, you are protected by the power of God. Omnipotence through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed. Listen to Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. What happens when I sin if I do the same thing four times in a day? What happens? He is is able by his omnipotent power to keep his people from stumbling. Not from doing wrong, but from stumbling in a way that they fall out, if you would, of their salvation. What keeps me in Christ? God's omnipotent love. Because it was his omnipotent love who put me into Christ in the first place. And that love has no beginning or ending. And so when God put me, I'm getting ahead of myself for the next week. I won't say that. (laughs) You'll have to come back. And he's able to make me not only from stumbling, but to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, blameless with great joy, blameless. Why blameless? Because Jesus took the full blame for all of my sin and guilt And destroyed it at the cross, putting it to death. The enmity has been put to death forever. Yes. Omnipotent power. Omnipotent love. Now to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, he says. There's another part of this. I don't know where my note went, but it was this. And somebody wrote this, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, no angels, nor principalities, no things present, no things to come, no powers, no height or depth, or anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us, me, from what? The love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Why can Paul say that at the end of Romans 8? Because he knows, first, he knows by doctrinal truth about God. And secondly, he has experienced the effect and the validity of that truth in his life that God's love is an unending, omnipotent, everlasting, eternal, forever and ever, uncreated love. Can you say amen? Amen. Now that's a little bit about the love of God in relation to his omnipotence. We'll talk next week about his omniscience.